Judges ready? It is often said, the best time to begin is now. Wait a minute, who says that? Just shut up, it's a thing that people say, okay? It's just a thing you need people to say so you can use it in an introduction. (sighs) Whatever. It is often said, the best time to begin is now. In today's episode of Forensics Faces, we'll explore what makes a great beginning to an excellent forensics piece. And we'll let you in on the secrets of what judges actually want to hear, as well as what to avoid in both interp and speech introductions. This... This is Forensics Faces. Today's episode is starting and starting over. It may be a cliche, but it's also true that it's never too late to begin again. When it comes to Forensics Faces, I appreciate that. So today, we're rebooting our little forensics podcast. My format, until today, was one-on-one interviews with people that I admire in the forensics world. Those will still happen from time to time, but I have to admit that it's a daunting task to find the time to sit for an hour and chat, both in my schedule and in the schedules of those I'd like to interview. And that's a shame, because there's so many things about forensics that are worth talking about on a more regular basis. So that is why I've invited one of my forensics besties to join me for a weekly chat about the state of forensics. I'm happy to introduce my coaching colleague and a crosstown rival, Melissa Gabrielson, as my Forensics Faces co-host. Welcome, Melissa. Hi, Kurt. So tell us a little bit more about yourself, Melissa Gabrielson. (sighs) Where do I start? Oh, I know. 2004 was when I began (laughs) my forensics journey. I joined as a freshman, uh, had the unlucky life beginnings in policy debate, but the debate coach was a forensics coach and told me I'd probably be better at forensics than I was at debate, and she happened to be right. I did forensics all four years of high school, had some of the best memories in that weird little corner of the school. Uh, I was not a successful student competitor, which always surprises people, but first person to admit it. Uh, But I've been coaching now since 2008, and I really feel like that's where my my places yeah yeah I, well, they I, always say those who can't do teach yeah and that's i me. think is is kind of ridiculous in yeah a lot it's, of ways, but. it's kind of mean but okay. it, I, yeah, yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll wear it for right. everyone else i'll go. take it on for <laughs> us uh but i've been doing that since 2008 been an, an official head coach co-head coach sorry ben uh since 2010 and now I have nationally placing students who have broken as far as quarterfinals and students who are still competitive on a collegiate level. And yeah, now I get to do cool things like this with Kurt. That's awesome. My, yeah, my likes include West Wing and baking <laughs> cookies. Dislikes include crying in acting pieces and really terrible cheesy extemp intros okay i have a bone to pick with you real quickly what do you mean you don't like crying in acting pieces uh, it never feels genuine no, even if it looks i can never i just have a level of distrust you know like whether or not they've like taught themselves to cry on command so i can never connect because the second they start crying one my mom instinct kicks in and i want to make sure they're okay even though i know it's like part of me knows it's not real it's acting but another part of me is just like, oh my god, someone get her a tissue and a cookie. So you're talking about like actual tears streaming down like her face? Like actual tears. Okay. Like crying noises, cool, whatever. Okay. But when what you're... What about like the wobbly chin? Because like 
the wobbly chin is why I was in a quarterfinals. <laughs> the wobbly like, chin my is wobbly your jam. Is my it was like my solo serious secret weapon. <laughs> See, I never and shed I a real tear. I would have been could get one them of the girls. Water. I could get the eyes to water, and my chin was just going. Nuts. Oh, you had the glisten. See, yeah, I, I the, glisten, the glisten. I wish I could teach. The glisten is one that I want. But when it's the actual tears streaming down the face, like there's there's a piece that I saw at national finals a few years ago. Only one girl in the whole solo series rap. Excuse me, di because it was NFL yeah, nationals. Yeah, yeah. And she cried a ton, and it just totally detracted from her piece, made it feel really forced, not believable. So it's so in the WFCA, we would create a rule that says no more than thirty seconds of crying. Oh, probably but fifteen. Then if, but then a few years later, we would amend that rule to yes. say that it's just you know the judge's, judge's discretion judge's for discretion. how much crying is allowed. It's critiquable. <laughs> how many you count that you have to count the amount of tears? You're allowed thirty exact tears in every piece. Oh well, I'm sure we will spend a lot of time talking about what forensics is like in the WFCA. Yep. But okay, so your other dislike is cheesy extemp intros. Oh my and goodness. that's the topic that we're tackling today. We're talking about introductions. Why are they so terrible? Why are they so bad a lot of the time? I not always. Let's give credit always. where credit there, is due. Yeah, but, there are great intros. I mean, the ones you and I write, obviously. But I think it's because it always ends up being the afterthought. It always ends up being the night before a tournament, a new piece, when all of a sudden you realize they don't have an intro. Yeah. And then that's the day they tell you they don't have an intro, not Monday or when you give them the piece. It's always the the day before. So the real reason is that most introductions are not thoughtful. No. They don't take the time to really think about what's being said. Mm -mm. Um, And it often, I think, becomes just... Uh, spewing of the facts with no no assessment and I think that's what I that's what I want from a good introduction which we'll we'll go into in more detail so why why do we have introductions in the first place what purpose do they serve do you think for me in the interp world because a lot of pieces are cut from entire plays or sometimes entire novels your introduction is the only place you get to set the scene for the entire arc of the plot that happens to that character of why this moment that you've decided to touch on is why is what you're touching on what brought them what brought the character there and sometimes i just need to know why they have the accent that they do or (laughs) why they have the body positioning that they do and in a speech it's just setting your audience up to know where you're taking us that's why we call it a roadmap which we'll get into Mm -hmm. uh and it's the place you set your thesis, which works in both acting and in speech. Yeah. Why am I caring about what you're doing? Why should I pay attention to you for the next four to ten minutes? But, okay, so I want to pick up on something you just said because I think it's important. Why do I care? Like, to me, that is the, the question that an introduction should answer. Um, yes, you're setting the scene. Yes, you have to tell me a little bit about the character or characters that Mm -hmm. I'm about to see. Um, And because we don't use costuming or props, sometimes you have to really explain the setting in a detailed way for us to understand. But why do I care about any of what you're about to do? Why is the next 10 minutes of my life as I watch you do a solo humorous or as I listen to an oratory, why does it matter? And that's the thing that I think... When I see an introduction and say it was effective, 
um, or excellent, which I very rarely write, but sometimes yeah. I will say that was an excellent introduction. Mm-hmm. What I hear when I say those things was some analysis of of what they were about to do and why it's important. It has to be ju- it has to be just as persuasive as any point in a speech. Just because you're doing a duo about there has to be a reason a why complete history of anything of the abridged. history <laughs> of the United States abridged. Um, we, I have to know why your interpretation of the complete history of the United States abridged is more important than any of the other pieces that are being presented in that round. Mm-hmm. And also, that bit needs to convince me to continue listening to you. It has to explain to me why I should be engaged. Right. Which is the goal, right? You want to engage your audience. And exactly. So this, this is your chance to make an out-and-out plea to the people who are about to listen to you as to why what you're about to say is important. So I think that's... that's I like that. I like the plea. Let's start yeah, calling them intros plea. and start calling them pleas. It's a plea. Yeah. Plea. Please. Please. Listen to me. Pretty <laughs> so, please. Okay. So let's break down introductions and speech first. Yes. Um, so let's talk about some things that we see a lot and these could be good or bad. So, because sometimes there's common practices that will then become old hat that maybe it's time to think outside the box sometimes. And I think that's cyclical. Sometimes people will do things for a few years and then mm-hmm. it becomes, you know, the popular thing to do and then everybody's doing it. And then you're like, oh, this is kind of over. So in speech in particular, this is one thing I will talk about. The road mapping, which you mm-hmm. brought up, which um, I do think it is important at the beginning of the speech, no matter what it is that you're doing, this is a basic concept of persuasive writing, which is that you give us the outline of what we are about to hear. This is like step number one. Yep. Like any speech class being taught by somebody who knows anything about giving speech <laughs> is going to tell you, tell you to road You map. need to, yeah, like you say roadmap, I say outline. You need to give me some idea of how the speech is going to be formatted. Mm-hmm. I need to know where things are going. Yeah. And what became very popular for many years and still is to some degree was what I would call a cheesy representation of the speech or it would it would find some theme or metaphor that would be carried out in punny ways and you and say this with such disdain sometimes the word <laughs> and this is where i struggle with this because sometimes the wordplay is fun and smart and mm-hmm. engaging it's yes. effective but i think what happens is that Somebody does that, and it is fun and smart and engaging, and everybody else sees it, and they think, oh, all I have to do to be fun and smart and engaging mm-hmm. is something like do that. that. And so I've seen over, the, and it's been 10 years, I think, of this idea of like, I'm going to start a metaphor, like, we're going to open the book, and then we're <laughs> going to turn to the table of contents, and then we're going to get into the first chapter <laughs> and, and as we turn we'll, the final page yeah, we'll see it, that it's, blah blah it's blah the whole thing and it just to me if if that's a gimmick it loses its meaning yeah and then i'm i'm and then i'm disengaged mm-hmm. and i was happy to see when we went to nsda nationals last year mm-hmm. that the final round of oratory very few of the national yeah. finalists had that, like, I'm going to establish a metaphor and follow it 
through all yeah. the way. And the couple who did had done it very well. And it mm-hmm. was very selective. Yes. It wasn't overdone. And, and I so, feel like that was the, really the first Nationals having watched past oratory national yep. rounds, whether in person or on DVD, that you saw that really obviously people taking a step away from that and seeing great benefit in it. Right. And it's something that's definitely super common here in our association. It's something that I really like writing. I like the challenge of trying <laughs> to write a really good, like, punned out roadmap and really taking the metaphor. But I like to spread the metaphor rather than just thin it out and make it horrible and hard yeah. to listen to. <laughs> so I guess what's good about this common practice is that it's, it is important to give some sort of outline to your audience so mm-hmm. that we know the direction your speech is going to take. Um, where you have to be careful if you are writing a speech is how you want to use metaphor in in that introduction and throughout the speech so that it doesn't become the shtick, so that the shtick doesn't overpower what you're saying. Whenever I write a roadmap, I always will write it, and if I really love it, I do the groan test. I take it to someone else who I know doesn't love puns nearly as deeply as I do and ask them, can you read this? And if they finish it and audibly groan, <laughs> back to square one, got to start over. Yeah. But if they write it and think, oh, yeah, that's enjoyable or that's delightful, then I know I did it well. Mm-hmm. But just imagine someone having to groan at you three to four times a tournament. <laughs> you don't want that. You want them to smile delightfully at your quips. Exactly. Exactly. Um, so what else is good in an introduction for a speech? Um, You definitely want to clearly state your thesis. Yes. It's one of the things I think lacks in speeches outside of oratory. I feel like kids don't think that speeches outside of oratory need thesis, but they totally do in a category like moments. Why is this the moment that you chose? Tell me what we're about to talk about. Why do I care about this particular moment versus all of the hundreds of thousands of things that happened in that time period? Exactly. Why should I care? We're back to the concept of why why? should I care? Even special occasion, Mm -hmm. which is often um, used as a platform for a student to creatively approach a speech. So maybe the situation they're in as the speaker of the speech is not real. Um, but still, you got to give me some sort of basis to care about what you're saying. Like, okay, you are accepting an award on the planet Glorp Glorp. Oh, great um, place. Beautiful sites. Yeah, yeah. But like, tell me about the whole, like, (laughs) why do I care about this award you're receiving? Yeah, or explain why you deserve to win it. Yeah, so even even when the situation is fantastical or out of reality um, or factually based like a moment's in history, but it's historically based... Tell me why I care. So, yeah. and, and again, that's the point of the thesis. And I think also, if you can really hone in on a very good thesis, the whole speech will benefit. Yeah. You talk about the grown factor for um, metaphors. I have the grown factor with my students when it comes to their thesis, mm. which is like when they, if they can't narrow it down to a one sentence, this is what my speech is about, or if they do that, and at the end of it, I go, oh. <laughs> you know? then we know we need to restructure yeah. because it's it's either too big an idea to fit yes, into a 10-minute speech problem. or an eight-minute speech or a six-minute speech or, or, it's an, or it's an idea that, quite frankly, is not worthy of any speech. Yeah, it's not worth the time. And if you feel that you can't get that one sentence down, then that's 
that's your sign. Okay, maybe... It's time to go back to the drawing Go back board. to the list we made of what we want to talk about. Right. Because then you're just not passionate about passionate right. enough about it. Right, exactly. So that's anything else you would want to say about speech introductions? Um, I feel like extemp is one of those places where due to the nature of the category where everything is is in that moment, there are a lot... One of the strategies that extempers use are the canned intro if they're talking... And what do you mean by that? For somebody I, who's like not familiar with okay. forensics, what is so a canned intro? So the canned intro is introductions that you can apply to certain issues regardless of what they are. So the classic one that I think about is the snowball intro. So when you're talking about something going wrong and escalating quickly, you talk about how when you were younger, you would go sledding on a hill by your house and you decided to make a snowball for a snowball fight, but it proceeded to roll down the hill. And oh no, as it rolled, it got bigger and bigger. We can see the situation from my childhood applying excellently to the escalation of situations in the Middle East. Yes. And while yes, that applies, you didn't put any effort into that intro. You, you just said it mm-hmm. like yeah. that and then the peanut butter cat one. I'm not familiar with the peanut you, butter cat you one. You don't. I, I find that hard to believe because the peanut butter cat one, okay. Uh, so every morning I wake up and I put peanut butter on a slice of toast and it's one of my favorite foods. And I noticed one day that after knocking my peanut butter toast off of the counter, it fell peanut butter side down. My cat proceeded to go over to it and start looking at the peanut butter. And then I thought about how my cat always lands on its feet. I wonder if... It put peanut butter on a cat, which side it would land on. When it comes to wondering about the upcoming presidential election, we can see that there's no use in wondering what'll happen because this is the obvious outcome. Insert extemper opinion here. It's that's t- an introduction that people that's use. That's a canned introduction, and it's horrible and very nonsensical. But I hear it all the time from that's... people who are new to the category and think that it's okay. And as That's we can incredible. hear, it's a horrible... How do they, they even hear about that? <laughs> I don't know, but it's a horrible intro. It makes little to no sense. It's only so you can make people think about putting peanut butter on a cat. Don't do it. If you go, I feel like the best route for intros in Extemp are just actual easy-to-make connections between mm-hmm. real-life events. Because sometimes it is hard to connect to current events. Sure. Especially people like to believe young people don't care about them. So... Part of extemp is convincing. Again, make us care. Yeah. So if you want to bring in a personal anecdote, make it something actually, one, believable, but two, something relatable. Something worth listening to. Exactly. Because again, yeah, I mean, neither of the introductions that you just said would, first of all, really grab my interest. No. Or, or make me care about what you're going to talk about. Nope. And the one advantage that I do feel most extempers have, and this is not always the case, but usually they pick a question that's worthy of discussion anyways. Yeah. Um, so it shouldn't be that great of a leap to explain why what you're about to talk about is important. Yeah, exactly. But again, even in extemp, you need to answer that question. Why is what I'm about to say, why does this matter? Mm-hmm. So that's a good point. I I was not aware that that was something that was going oh, on in extemporaneous speaking. I, I have not Extempers judged a lot of extemp. when you're listening, stop. Yeah, I have not judged a lot of extemp in the state of Wisconsin, but I do usually get it at nationals where, the I mean, the caliber is, is usually quite high and yeah and extemp is enjoyable so um and that's and that's where like sometimes you can tell yes this is probably an introduction they've used before and it's a bit of a stretch (laughs) but it's okay 
So, well, then let's move on to interp intros. So, oh, so important. So, so, so important. So, first of all, let's talk about um, some interp intros that maybe people um, use a lot. The quote. That maybe they should start avoiding. Oh. Even we, though they're we poked, kind of tried and true. They are. I fully admit to being a fan of a well thought out quote intro. We poked mm-hmm. fun at it at the beginning of this podcast. Yep. But one of the easy routes is, in the words of famous person everyone will recognize here, mm-hmm. insert quote that relates Maya to the Angelou, theme. Colin Powell, <laughs> Gandhi, Gandhi, Mother Michael Teresa. Jordan. <laughs> <laughs> I've heard one use Michael Jordan. Okay, yeah. it was it was basketball related, but it's one of those. It, it just it's very cheesy, mm-hmm. but you see it all the way into the final rounds sure. at either nationals, because it's a great way to just slap the intro down. You say yeah. quote here. Here's how quote applies a theme of peace. Here's setting of peace. Mm-hmm. Title peace. Four right. lines and you're done. See, and I think if we're, if anything we say on today's podcast is going to be controversial, I feel like this will be one. Oh, yeah. Like people will be like, no, the quote intro is so good. Oh, it's just, um, it's, and, it's tried and, and it's, true for a and reason. And here's the thing. Yeah, it's not that it's bad. No. It's just that... It's not thoughtful. If it's not, again, if it's not done well, if it's not thoughtful, if it is just like, oh, here's a quote that applies, let's slap it in there, then yeah, it's been, it's just been done. You have to be so careful with thing with the things that judges get tired of seeing. Yes. Um, and maybe that's true only for those of us who are around and have done it quite often. But we but even see so, these tricks. We and we can tell yeah. when it's a trick and or a gimmick, and we can tell when it's really done well. Mm-hmm. But even if you're not judging as much as someone who's been in it for ten, eleven years, we'll pretend mm-hmm. I don't know how many years it is. Uh, even in just one round, you'll see multiple pieces start that way. It's true. And it can be by the third piece with, in the words of insert person here, mm-hmm. by that point, you aren't listening to what those words are and you're you're already disengaging us as your audience. True. Very and true. as your judge. Very true. So what are some good ways to to introduce your interp or acting piece? my my thing this year is why does it matter at this moment in time? Why am I choosing to tackle this piece in this season? And personal example, I have a student doing a piece about a mother reacting to a school shooting that was done by her son. And so instead of doing a quote about reacting to grief or that sort of thing, she lays out a statistic that at the rate we're going, there's a school shooting in the United States once every five weeks. And that quote immediately grabs your attention, immediately sets the seriousness of the piece and really speaks to what it is like to be in the United States in this time. Mm -hmm. And I really appreciate pieces like that because even though the piece is, I think it's four or five years old now, it's still applicable. Sure. And the intro tells you why. Yeah. I mean, we don't give dates and introductions in Wisconsin of when pieces were published, but you can you sense the immediacy of the issue. Mm-hmm. So I think that statistics can be really effective, although it can also still be trite. But if you're going to go the quote route that everyone goes, make an effort to make it really, really specific. Make sure that it is it actually does relate to the piece rather than like kind of 
sort of maybe close enough but when when i can sense the effort you put into finding the right quote Mm -hmm. i as a judge really appreciate that right i also think that like something i don't see often enough is students relating the piece they're about to talk about to their own personal experience. Yeah, I don't think I really um, ever see that. I don't, I don't yeah, you don't see that in interp as much as you do in speech. Yeah. And that's where I like, I think that's such an effective way to be like, why I believe this piece is worthy to share with you is because of this experience I've had, you know? And so I, I love I love that. Um, I also think it's really great to talk about the author and the author's experience, if that sheds some light on, yeah. on the piece itself or why it has significance. Um, Especially if the author of the piece is somebody who is drastically different than the person presenting it. You know, Hmm. very few of the pieces that we see as judges and forensics were written by the demographic presenting them. Yeah. They are not written by teenage boys and girls from Wisconsin. Um, These authors often have vastly great different experiences. Um, They are different races, religions. They come from different countries. And if you're not giving me any of that background, it is more difficult for me to appreciate what you are about to to read. Yeah, that Um, it, it sets us up for an appreciation of what you have tackled in order to relate to it as an actor mm-hmm. or an interpreter, depending on the category. And if the piece you're doing was, in fact, written by a 14-year-old, I might say, find another piece. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> I haven't heard one yet <laughs> that I have loved. I don't think I've ever heard a piece written by a 14-year-old. Right. I, I mean, other than the occasional self-published oratory. Sure. Or, sure. I mean, self-published poetry. Yeah. So... So that's another thing I like to hear in introductions is give me a little bit of background on this author and who the writer was. Um, and maybe like if you're doing a program of poetry and you have three or four poems all by the same author, that to me is really important. Yeah. If you have three or four poems and they're all by different authors and you're going to take up half the time telling me about each one, okay, maybe that's a time when we don't <laughs> we don't yeah. deep dive into that. But certainly I think there are a lot of, of interp um, opportunities to tell me about who wrote this piece because that's important. Um, whereas in acting, I don't care so much about the playwright if it, if it was in fact a playwright, Mm -hmm. um, you know, that is where I think in acting the script should allow the playwright to disappear and it should be about the characters that I'm seeing. Um, but again, that's, that's the difference between interp and acting. Mm -hmm. Um, and whereas in acting, yeah, give me some background, please tell me, (laughs) tell me what's going on in this play. Even, Even if it's something I should know about because... I'm a forensics coach and I read a lot of plays. Yeah. Every year. Like, give me some background. Tell me just, just tell me what's going on. Yeah. And then tell me why it matters. And and one of the things that has to be tackled in the intro, when you're doing something that's from a super long play or an entire novel, you have just that small snippet of time to set the scene for your 10 minutes that an author gets to have chapters upon chapters to do. Mm-hmm. So... You have to take that second, sometimes a sentence, sometimes three, to tell us why the character or characters you're about to present are in the situation that they're in. Yeah, exactly. So let's talk real quick about teasers. Because you can't talk about introductions without Without talking talking about about teasers. teasers. So... For, again, for those who are listening who may not be familiar with forensics or are just learning about it, what is a teaser? 
A teaser is when you begin your performance with a small snippet of the actual piece you are presenting. They tend to be right about a minute to 90 seconds, anything longer, and it starts to feel like you just began the piece. But it's a great way to, I refer to them as establishing a cliffhanger. Mm. You want it to create a moment. You want to, you want your audience to lean forward a little bit and go, what's going to happen? And so I find the teaser to be very important, but not at all necessary every time. Yeah. And this is, again, where I feel like it's in vogue to do a teaser. Yes. But if it's not good, don't do it. If there, if, if your piece isn't cut to have that moment, don't force it. Yeah, it's if totally okay If your piece begins just, just with your... You can just walk up there, give me your introduction. And start. It's great, it's too. It's totally fine. Yeah, like it is not necessary to have a teaser. I, Only when a teaser works, please yes. use teasers. When the teaser actually teases, yes. please use it. Yeah, and I think I think how you you phrase that is perfect. Like it should get the audience to lean forward. Yeah, and if they're not, then you need to lean back on it. Yeah, then it's <laughs> then it's just not it's just not worth it. So. Well, this has been so much fun. I know. I love this. It's our new, it's our new format for Forensics Faces. I hope so. everyone enjoys it. Me not too. already sick of well, me. Well, and if, whether you liked it or whether you hated it, we want you to get in touch with us. So um, you can find Forensics Faces on Facebook. We are at Forensics Faces on Twitter. Tweet me. And you can go to ForensicsFaces.com and leave a comment. Um and find out just about more exciting stuff that we're going to be adding to the website as time goes on. Um, but we are definitely getting in the habit of doing a podcast on a weekly basis for the forensic season. So uh, you can look forward to that. If you have any questions or topics that you would like us to tackle, please give us an email. We would love to provide advice, whether you're a student who's about to compete or has competed all four years, a new coach, an old coach, a judge, or just someone who finds us to be enjoyable and wants us to tell you a little bit more about something, email or tweet us. We would love to spend a little time in our podcast talking at you. Exactly. And like I said, we will still do some uh, one-on-one interviews in the future with some notable forensics faces. Um, But in the meantime, I hope you enjoy our new format. I'm Kurt. And I'm Melissa, encouraging you to listen, think, and speak. Preferably in that order. Forensics Faces is produced and recorded in Sheboygan, Wisconsin. Our theme music was composed and performed by J.J. Hammeister. More info at ForensicsFaces.com. Whoa!